When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. And I'm your host, Nick Gambarian, ready to talk about Rebel Season 4, where they totally rebel in the rebellion. <laughs> they do. So my breakdown is basically that they definitely are rebels and they rebel. I rebel. All right, roll the end music. That was it. <laughs> and I am your third host for Rebels, filling in for Ryan Key. Am I filling in, though? At this point, I feel like now, Rebels, I'm on the team. Occupy, thank the makers, what you're on. Occupy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have moved off Lothal, and we are here on Thank the Makers. So I am your third... Your special guest. Special guestess, host of Armor Party. Special guest for this arc. Yeah. For this arc of Rebels. Good to be here. Good to have you. Lots happening. Did you say your name? I didn't hear. I was talking over you. Did you say that your name is Mike Forrester? I am the host of Armor Party, Mike Forrester. Yes, indeed. And uh, here I am talking the fourth season of Star Wars Rebels, an animated children's series <laughs> that's entirely for adults <laughs> by this point. Hell of a season. I've watched it twice, actually, in the past couple weeks because we had an extra week. We took last week to cover the book of Boba Fett, the Disney Gallery, because we could not cover that. That was super fun, uh, and it gave me time to just kind of like watch it casually without having to take notes the whole time. And then today, I powered through the whole thing again, took the notes, did the thing, and cried again. Same. I did the irresponsible procrastinator thing where when we covered Book of Boba, I was like, I got two weeks to watch for 15 (laughs) episodes. That's nothing. And then I got like up to episode seven last week. And I'm like, I'm flying through this. <laughs> and <laughs> I just finished watching it today. So, <laughs> so yeah. But that was about my third overall watch. Like I, this was, I said previously on the pod, this was the only season of this that I watched like live on television, which was pretty cool. And then I did another rewatch at some point And now this one, so... Ask me anything. I know it all. (laughs) All right, take it away. Hit the notes. JK. The Rebels, it's the fourth time that the Rebels... (laughs) Fourth time that they rebelled. (laughs) ...have gotten together. (laughs) Fourth time in the last four years that the Rebels got together and tried to rebel against the Empire. End of show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you for coming. It's been wonderful. Uh, Patreon.com slash ThinkTheMakerPod. All right, let's actually do it for real because there's too much good stuff to talk about and these past few episodes have been the worst to, to try to edit because I we just can't shut up. So um, let's get into it. What have you done with those plans? Star Wars Rebels Season 4 debuted uniquely, not uniquely, uh, in a special way. Part 1 of Heroes of Mandalore, the, uh, the season premiere, premiered on April 15th, 2017 at Celebration Orlando. And then the full double episode, part one and two, as a film, not feature length, but a film, 
uh, was first screened September 2nd, 2017 at Fan Expo Canada. See what happens, Canada? You just, you're so nice mm. and you get special gifts. You deserve all the gifts. And then the official premiere on television on Disney XD, October 16th of the same year, 2017. Written by Dave Filoni, Simon Kinberg, and Carrie Beck, just like the other seasons. Dave Filoni back in the supervising director chair. Justin Ridge was supervising director on, I think, just one episode, episode 10, along with Filoni. And then Stuart Lee returning, Sergio Paez, who worked on Rebel Season 2 and was in the art department on The Clone Wars and Resistance. Back to do some directing, Bosco Ang as well, and then Saul Ruiz, the dream team. This is a lot more, I mean, it's fewer episodes than something like Clone Wars, but a lot more consistency in terms of directors and writers. I think once Disney got involved, I think things just got focused and with there being less of an open-ended, ambiguous, yeah, we'll see how many seasons we're going to do kind of thing. I think they assembled the team and went after it, just like they're doing with all these live action series now. Yeah, and it's probably because, I mean, if it was going to be like kind of like you just alluded to, like finite, and this was going to be the last season, they probably were like all hands on deck. Yeah. How do we do this? Yeah, and Filoni said as much in, I forgot what interview, it may have been on a celebration panel at some point, but they knew at some point season four was going to be the finale and they wrote it as such. There was nothing left just kind of on the table. There weren't, you know, lost missions or any of these kind of things. So they were really happy to have that opportunity and embraced it. It seems like from everything I've learned about television writing the past 20 years or so, especially like following something like Lost that was a phenomenon and was just like monoculture of entertainment that changed things, but was still living in the old model of like, yeah, just keep writing stuff, 22 episodes a year. The writers are all just like, oh my God, thank you, but this is my hell. Like I just have to keep writing. <laughs> we have advertisements to sell. Yeah. We got commercial space. <laughs> We need 22 episodes. So I can only imagine how good it feels coming from like, you know, a century of that writers going, oh, just four seasons and we're, we're just going to knock it out. Like, yeah, sick. We'll just write this perfect little contained story. And then you write, you know, a season like this and you make grown adults cry at this kid's cartoon repeatedly. Well done. <laughs> it's a kid's cartoon for adults. Okay. Real talk. I think what really started to feel... I've said this before in the show is that Rebels really started to make me feel differently about Star Wars, right? And you can see at this moment, especially in where Star Wars was, there was, you know, we're now rolling out Rogue One. We've got all this like more mature storytelling. They, they're they leading up to everything we're seeing now, right? And I think this was the perfect opportunity to show the weight of decisions, the weight of the the character development, being able to assume that this kids, quote-unquote kids, watching this show were able to comprehend and figure out something as complicated as the world between worlds and all of these, like, kind of adult themes that they were like, we're going to put this out there for these kids to just chew up and be confused or maybe just say, whoa, that's really cool. So I, I do have a lot of love for this for this season for that reason that the the writers specifically took a jump in this animated show right a jump to hyperspace via organic <laughs> the cast we have um pretty much everybody returning who's not dead who's a major character and then we get katie sackoff as bo katan Kreese, genevieve o'reilly back as mon mothma warwick davis i didn't realize this saw it today plays rook or rook oh. very klingon pronunciation the Nogri assassin, 
hired by Thrawn, the kind of bipedal, quadrupedal, kind of ape-ish kind of postured dude. Basically the the Zeb of your nightmare. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. It was like Zeb, but it wasn't Zeb. But he kept walking on his hands. It was, it was terrible. Um, Seth Green learned this today as well. Captain Sevor, the, the, the Trandoshan, that snake son of a bitch. Malcolm McDowell as, as Minister Hyden or Hyden, depending on how you pronounce it. Great character actor. You, you know this dude's face. And I didn't, again, I just like got the knowledge dropped on me today. That's a dude from A Clockwork Orange. Yeah. What the hell? Like, I just know him as this old, bald, white-haired dude who's always, like, kind of a pseudo-villain or somebody kind of scary or whatever. I had no idea that was a dude from A Clockwork Orange. Wait, wasn't he, was it his big, his probably, like, most recent big role would have been, was it Heroes? I didn't watch Heroes. Do you remember that show? On, yeah, that I remember a, for sure. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those things where, like, Filoni and this crew of Star Wars people love these deep, like I, I don't want to call them deep cut people, but they're like uh, they love to hire people that you go, oh that guy, yeah that guy's, oh I, yeah yeah that a lot of that guy, you know, yeah. But they're all fantastic, so I'm like, you know, that's why they're where they're at, and we're we're doing a podcast about them. Here's another holy shit that guy, not so much of that guy, but a oh no way moment. Jai Kel, the cadet that Ezra was in um, the Imperial Academy with when they they did that little covert thing that he helped break out. I didn't know this dude's name. Dante Basco. It's Rufio from Hook. That's awesome. Amazing. What Filoni the hell? was probably just like, what's this guy doing? Go get him. I don't yeah. care what he's doing. Somebody get this dude's phone number. Working at the supermarket? Get him. <laughs> Not anymore for at least three weeks. <laughs> and then, you know, he, he came back in, uh, I don't know, episode three or four or something, and then it was kind of throughout the season. So that's dope. And then the one and only, the legendary man himself, Ian McDermott, as Emperor Palpatine. So cool of him to do that. Yeah. I think, I, I love that. I love that. Another thing I noticed about this season, this is by far the most serialized bit of Star Wars animation, even more than the Bad Batch or anything. It's, it's a pretty continuous story. There's kind of a couple little side quests, but not much at all. There's definitely no Adventure of the Week episodes. The side quests are all tied into the main storyline. Um, almost no skips because those side quests, like I said, do kind of tie in. And then last overall thing to me, I noticed, and maybe this was progressing slowly, but I really saw it in the season. There's a noticeable visual level up from the previous seasons, at least in the lighting and kind of the cinematography, the digital cinematography, more cinematic overall. Some of those kind of establishing shots of like a crashed X-Wing or this or that are textured really next level. I mean, you can tell Disney was like, okay, this works. We're going to go out with a bang. And they did some work. Yeah, I wonder if it was probably partially like technology advancing, but also I think the overall theme of the season of season four was a little bit more serious. So maybe they just set the tone visually. Like, yeah. So subconsciously we all were like, hmm, this is very serious. Yeah. I guess the the more cinematic lighting everything everything's lit in a more like directional way it seems like there are more kind of like dusk or evening shots or nighttime stuff where it's lit by just street lights and things that lends itself to making things just look better because you're you're painting with light rather than it all being about textures and with them like nick 
made the joke in the in the first episode, <laughs> them having just basically one Photoshop brush, the splatter paint brush. We got three brushes now. <laughs> <laughs> the lighting helps that. So, well done. Like I said, almost no skips, but I did put down a couple. If you want to, you could probably skip episodes five and eight. I agree. We'll talk about them a little bit. My cheat is to go look at the IMDb scores mm. and then think about it as I'm watching. Like, yeah, you're right. Crowdsourced rating system. Mm. We could skip this. I like that. So that said, let's just get straight into it. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about and some questions to try to answer. So here we go. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, episodes one and two, two-part premiere, Heroes of Mandalore, part one and two. Part one description, the rebels attempt to rescue Sabine's father from the clutches of the Empire with the help of Clan Wren. And part two, Sabine learns the devastating weapon the Empire is using against the Mandalorians is derived from her prototype. She has to decide whether to destroy it or use it herself. This episode, it really kind of wraps up, well, I mean, it officially does wrap up the, the Mandalorian story in animation. It doesn't give us the uh, the Great Purge. I had to go back and kind of read and clarify that a little bit, what's considered the Purge, because at one point, I think um, Moff Gideon refers to the Purge as the Siege of Mandalore. I don't know if that was accidental or if, I think now it's just explained away as like, he's an Imperial, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You know, it's mm. different nomenclature based on perspective. Night of a Thousand Tears, which one's that? Yeah, so that's the Great Purge officially. Okay. Oh, okay. So the so they're well, they all but they also could call them in campaigns, right? Yeah. So depending on depending on like you know a military strategy or or a strike is often referred to as a campaign because it's like it has a start and an end, and mm-hmm. sometimes they call them different things, right? Okay. Yeah. You know, if if you're in a different spot, if you're occupying a different spot on the planet, you might refer to your company might refer to it as a different name, you know, whatever right, right. that might be. They, do, they they mention that. So it's very possible that the Gideon's, what his role, you know, the same thing as like Burn and Con or anything like that. It's like, you know, they might have referred to whatever their group was. That was their the name of their campaign. This episode uh, is, well, it's two episodes. There's a lot. The big kickoff to me was the introduction of Bo-Katan to Rebels and the int- introduction of her to Sabine which was awesome. Sabine tries to give her the Darksaber. She refuses, says, I'm not the leader you seek. Sabine has a reunion with her father. He's an artist. That's pretty cool. Sabine's weapon that we talked about a moment ago, it superheats Beskar, vaporizes people, turns them to dust. It, they're pretty kind of like unclear about why she made it and what the circumstances were, but she was in the Imperial Academy. It was like a project. She was like a prodigy, so to speak. And it was kind of like, arrogance like yeah i could build this thing you know and then little did she know as a kid that it could be used against them like you know make a list of dumb things that you did as a kid and put that in the context of a star war and here we go that's pretty brutal yeah just the the idea of well they have this armor that we can't penetrate what if we heat it 
so hot that yeah. it vaporizes whoever's wearing it. Gross. Yeah. And then they named it, according to <laughs> Wikipedia, the Duchess. Yeah, she says it in the episode, yeah. Right, right, right. So yeah. it's kind of like a, oh, man, that's that's brutal. Yeah. You know, you're like, okay, I get it. But, but you know, and I'm sure for on Sabine's side, too, like, who better to understand this mythical metal that it gives them almost ultimate superiority as warriors than to say, how could you fi- how, how could we defeat it? And Sabine being like, well, why wouldn't I give my, put my best foot forward and destroy my people <laughs> unknowingly? Mm. Right. There's a little seed planted at the beginning, the stuff that, you know, we were all feeling all the way up until this season. Kanan and Hera talking about their feelings. It's clear as day, though. They're, let's put it out there. Um, <laughs> it wasn't really clear until like now, though, right? Right, right. Yeah. Like, I, you could kind of go back and see that, like, maybe they had a deeper appreciation or something going on. But I feel like this is the first time where you were just like, mm, something's there for sure. Yeah. There are a few looks, maybe, but nothing yeah. like that face to face moment in the alley, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's some good Thrawn stuff with Gar Saxon. It's just stuff that makes you love Thrawn, even though he's a terrible piece of shit. The thing about how he he kind of like pushes back, challenges Saxon on the idea of using an anti-Beskar weapon on Mandalorians. Like, oh, so you think they're going to trust you after you use this thing that is their identity as the weapon to kill them? It's, it's really cool. It's really well-written stuff. And then good dialogue about armor being passed down for centuries, family history and all that. It really kind of lays the groundwork for everything, for a lot of stuff that would become foundational to the Mandalorian series, uh, live action series. At the end, the clans all pledge their allegiance to Bo-Katan and she accepts the Darksaber from Sabine. We can talk about this now or later, but there is an interpretation of this handing over of the saber that qualifies as winning it in combat. Meh, but... But is it? We'll do it now. <laughs> they fought together. Yeah. They they won a battle together. So she earned it. Survey says. Let's let's bring it to the armorer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Did not claim it in combat. So I, I think, you know, going back a little bit to what you're saying, Adam and, and Thrawn, you know, Thrawn is a guy who appreciates and, you know, his whole tactic is always getting to know your enemy, right? And so I think that there's, you look at someone like Gar Saxon and, you know, he's looking at it and saying, you know, this person doesn't really have honor in that way, right? And so Thrawn is, you know, the Chiss people are very proud people and their mind is their most powerful weapon. And I feel like when you come back and understand, like, in, in a lot of ways, I think that, like, Mandalorian culture is probably fascinating to Thrawn in his own way yeah, of yeah. understanding, like, you're assuming that... Mandalorians are powerless without their armor. And he's one to know that, you know, that Thrawn almost single-handedly, we first get introduced to him, basically has nothing on him and just manhandles the entire Galactic Empire when they land. And he basically kind of gets captured himself and just walks off the ship and he's like, yeah, I'm here. Uh, so I think he I think he understands that. I think there's something really interesting. So I think this whole, uh, it's, hard, it's hard to say that Thrawn is like a, a merciless dude because I think in a lot of ways he's like, you can't have mercy if that's the only tactic. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels between like the, the idea of Beskar being a weapon, which it's not. And then you have people like Thrawn. I, I, the show made me think, man. Yeah. Thrawn's a confusing character. Really, like if you, especially if you read, and I haven't read all the books, but I've read 
a bunch of Thrawn and, you know, the way they paint him as like the, like in some cases, like anti-hero kind of, but he has, he works for the empire, but you always get the sense that he doesn't have like full allegiance to the empire, but he does have full allegiance to his people. So mm-hmm. what's his real motivation? But then he still is at the end of some, some bad things that the empire does. So it's, it's, it's a little confusing. Sure. And maybe this Ahsoka series where everyone assumes, or maybe not assumes that he's the big bad, like, Maybe he's just full-on bad guy there. I don't know. I don't really know what to expect from Thrawn like in future storytelling. We'll find out. It's exciting. Episodes three and four in the name of the Rebellion, part one and part two, another uh, multi-episode arc, kind of like the whole thing. This is the return and finale, so to speak, for Saw Gerrera. It's a lot of the rebels. There's a lot of uh, sort of... There, there are hints of internal battle conflict with it, like a, almost like a yeah, the, yeah, the conflict within tactics and the way of like you know, yeah, what, the, you're kind of classic. Like, if we act this way, then what makes us different than them? You know, right? And this whole whole idea of like scorched earth, you know, it's like you know, is mutual destruction your your end goal? Because we both know that then it just ends up with more bombs, more blasters, more people dead, right? And Saw has already seen that, and so he's like, oh, I have full intention of dying as long yeah. as I take out as many of them as I can. Mon yeah. is like, wait a minute. <laughs> like, you're, And you're seeing both of them kind of at the height of what they represent within the Rebellion, which I, I love. And the, they're directly at odds. I mean, they Saw, he, he speaks to, to everyone at the base in this giant hologram. So they have this you know, public argument about their approach and he calls her a coward and all this stuff. The dude is ruthless, breaks all the rules of engagement, commits literal war crimes, but he's also not wrong ultimately about a lot of the conspiracy theories or things that seem crazy. He's obsessed with the idea of the super weapon, which we all know is real. And uh, there's a mention of Jeddah in this episode. It's really cool. And there's a, there are a lot of parallels also with the kind of dark side seduction the way he he sort of starts to convince Ezra and Sabine, he sort of like captures them, seduces them into coming along with him, and they destroy this um, antenna rather than just doing a recon. They do some things that they hadn't necessarily planned to do or that Hera wouldn't have wanted them to do because they get wrapped up in the stuff with Saw. They don't, they don't commit any war crimes like he does per se, but he does some sketchy stuff. Like at the end, they find this giant kyber crystal that you know they're they're harvesting these kyber crystals everywhere around the galaxy as we know from rogue one and saw takes the lightsaber and stabs it through the kyber crystal to disrupt (laughs) it which then blows up the whole thing and they all have to escape and it's just like sorry everybody's gonna die but we're gonna win and he has a great quote that kind of sums up everything when he says to ezra the difference between us ezra is this I will do whatever is required to be the victim. Sounds like someone else. And then there's a great bit of dialogue that's very convincing where he says something about uh, saving your home. He's speaking to Ezra. What about doing what's right? Isn't that what this war is about? What is right? Let me ask you this. What would you do to save your world? It's too late for me. My world is gone. I lost everything. And once you do, you can see things clearly and you understand what's at stake. And you really empathize with the dude for a minute. You understand where he's coming from 
even though he's doing shady stuff and he's in this gray area where, like you said, he's sometimes no better than the enemy. What's interesting about Saw Gerrera, too, is that if we combine it with what we see in Clone Wars, and now we're starting to see it in Bad Batch, too, we've almost, like, seen this dude literally become militarized. Yeah. Like, it go, he goes from one person being like, I'm really opinionated. Then they brought the fight to my people, and I, what choice do I have other than a fight? And then they kill my sister. I'm fully gassed now. Now it's just like, this was a dude, I mean... I hate to say it, but it's like, of course, this is not a political podcast, but like, it's very easy to see how when people have let war, I don't want to say let, when war has shaped someone's life, it's very hard for them to see anything else besides I'm fighting for my side and they are not on my side, you know? And it's like, it, unfortunately- Or or conflict period, like even below the level of war, like- Sure. Even just political conflict, right? political turmoil within a, a relatively peaceful population, same thing. Right. Well, there's something to be said about like fighting fire with fire. It's like yeah. you can't show up to like a baseball game and be like, I want to win this game, but I refuse to play baseball. Yeah. You know, like- Not going to swing the bat. Like, yeah, exactly. You, like, <laughs> we'll walk there, around those bases. There's a lot of obvious- See you guys, I get sports. <laughs> Dead on, man. You're learning. I mean, there's a lot of like real world, uh, you know, kind of storylines there. It's like you, as much as we want to all like kill them with kindness, you know, like sometimes it's <laughs> like, I don't know if they're going to react to that. The other side's not going to react to that. So I don't know. I get Saw and I, and his craziness in a weird way is just like, well, if he's constantly sort of circling around correct answers and his conspiracies are sort of right but they're being kicked to the curb as conspiracies and you're gonna go nuts <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right episode five the occupation this is on the skip list the short list of two this is a little trip back to lothal there's not much here uh, not much action it's basically a setup it's a sort of a part one for the next couple episodes they receive a message from writer azadi they go back to Lothal, they recruit Visago. Ezra's old friend Joe was executed. He's he's seeing that Lothal is just falling apart. It's occupied, destruction everywhere. There's curfews, real tyrannical oppression type stuff. At the end, his friend Jai he meets in the cantina, recognizes him, helps him out. He then joins the rebellion, and he's part of it for the rest of the time. Like I said, it's on the skip list because Jai does continue. That you don't have to worry about missing that. Skip it if you want to. But that brings us to episode six, Flight of the Defender. This is about stealing an Imperial prototype TIE fighter, the, uh, the TIE Defender. This is also the introduction of the Loth Wolves. Filoni. Which, yeah, Filoni loves wolves. It's one of those things. If before season four came out, you were like, there's wolves. There's yeah. wolves in Star Wars. You'd be like, this is stupid. And then you see it and execution is chef's kiss. And you're like, I'm in. Loth Wolves. These are great. <laughs> <laughs> They're like just Star Warsy enough with the mm-hmm. like like the bone protrusions on their face if that's yeah. what they are or like you know what I mean they but but in every other sense like there's really nothing you know if you're talking like one of the you know concept artists was like okay think like a blue whale but in space and they're like all right we'll combine <laughs> it with a freaking you know giant squid the concept artist was like I think I'm just going to make a wolf and then I'm going to give him some like cool stuff on his nose. Like we're not going to give him like six eyes. We're not going to do any of that. It's like, that's, that's, it's pretty much just wolf. Give him a lightsaber. (laughs) Yeah. Their nails are lightsabers. Their nails literally are kyber crystals. (laughs) I like that. 
So this is a continuation of the Tide Defender thing. They find out that they have hyperdrives, which is a big deal. They try to steal one uh, rather than just get recon on it because that was the mission. But they crash the thing. But they in turn get the, the data recorder. They get the hyperdrive because they need that hyperdrive. And Ezra bonds with one of the Loth Wolves. Again, weird, but totally works. The Loth Wolf gives them a ride back to the crew on its back. It's cool. It works. Sounds dumb on paper, but totally awesome. Yep. Every season, I feel like there's at least one instance where Ezra and animals are buddies. For sure. Huge arc, you know, like every season there's something and it all makes sense. But this this just had like such a a, th- a throwback to like Filoni's previous animation work and his style of storytelling is that there, if, if this show was starting to get a little bit too like, this show's starting to get a little dark. This show's getting, you know, it's really deep. There's a lot of people dying. All the villains are getting scarier. We're moving closer and closer to, like, total destruction of Alderaan. This was, like, a fun, like, Goonies-style, mm-hmm. like, we're going to get a ride on. It's like, you know, it's like riding, like, we're in the ocean, and all of a sudden some orca whales come up. They're like, hop on, buddy, let's go. Some never-ending story <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It's like you're riding Falcor through the thing, you know. So I, I, I think this was... This was a nice like balance to be like, don't worry, there's still we have lots of fun and fun moments for our our uh, our whole ghost crew is not suffering PTSD just yet. <laughs> Episode seven, Kindred. This continues that Loth Wolf story. The rebels are back in their base, but they're tracked there by Rook. Loth Wolves end up guiding all the rebels to safety deeper, kind of into the rocks, into their cave. There are these sweet cave paintings in there, people following Loth Wolves, or all these seeds starting to get planted of kind of layers of the onion being pulled back about this deeper story that is kind of central to the whole season. And then the wolves guide them through a sort of force wormhole slash gate kind of thing that leads them through, and we just see it for a moment, the world between worlds, which we'll see in the episode called The World Between Worlds, takes them all the way to the other side of the planet, from the northern hemisphere to the southern. They wake up just laying on the ground like, what the hell, how do we get here? They have a moment with... The white wolf, the big one, where he speaks, again, weird on paper, he says, doom, D-U-M-E. But how does he say it, though? But how does he say it? Doom. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. This wolf has a deep connection to the Force, and it made me think, yeah, of course. Why didn't we think this before? Why didn't we talk about this before? There's no reason that sentient or sapient, bipedal, humanoid-looking creatures are the only ones that could be full-blown force users maybe they're the only ones that can train in that way because of communication limitations uh for the others but why couldn't a wolf have just as many midichlorians as anakin skywalker makes sense to me it's all about your connection to it Uh, isn't isn't that the point of like what the the force is and we, we see it of course like the you know if you look at the jedi and you look at even the sith too at the same time it's like how many non human species are also, you know, it's like, it's like, of course we, we think about it in terms of, you know, what makes something in our, in our concept of things, what makes something humanoid. It's always the ability to be, the ability to be able to communicate in groups. Right. And if you go to, you know, you look back on, uh, in, in the high Republic's kind of fleshing some of this out too. It's like, you have almost like we were talking about book of Boba Fett, the Ithorians not being able to actually communicate without their modulator right yeah, yeah but you could have a species like that that 100 percent is you know on is has the force so this concept again you said it weird on paper 
but still very Star Wars in its own right. And this is also Doom, the uh, Caleb Doom reveal that Kanan Jarrus' real name was Caleb Doom. We don't learn anything more about that until, uh, I guess, The Bad Batch, but, well, and then the, the comics probably cover that, which I haven't read. Nick, you watched it real time. That was probably pretty crazy, right? Yeah. It was amazing. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot to take in, and it means more now than it did that. Like, it was cool, for sure, but rewatching, learning more about the character, I mean, it's pretty heavy. Speaking of heavy, Hera and Kanlin finally kiss. Oh, yeah, man. There was some, there was some heavy man. petting. Um, mm. I would say something that, like, draws another line to the parallels of real life is, like, how many people had to straight up change their names and their identities after moments of bad human history. Yeah. And the idea that you've, you know, the wherever you were at a certain time period and saying this group of people is not welcome here, it's, it's kind of like what Grogu, in a way that we've seen it res, uh, almost kind of resurface too. Ahsoka's like, Grogu has cut himself off of the Force because out of fear of being found, right? And right. I think we're going to, I think we're going to start to see a little bit of that in the Kenobi series is the idea that if there is someone who doesn't cut themselves off from the force, they can be sensed, right? Because you're kind of getting this sense that the Inquisitors, that's like a huge role for them, right? Is to be able to pick up on on that. So to have someone, though we see his his story kind of revealed in a very like traditional heroic, I'm about to let you in on a big secret, kid, that whole thing. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, in, again, like art imitates life. We've seen it happen where people were like, that did used to be my name. Because I had a much different light previously and something happened that I could not be that person anymore. Boof. I hate that. <laughs> but yeah. it's good storytelling. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Episode eight. Next one on the skip list of two skips. Crawler Commandeers. This is the rebels trying to, well, they steal a mining vehicle that has long range communications gear. They're trying to, but the Empire shows up, of course, to spoil their plans. Uh, it's got some cool stuff in it. The rebels are posted up in the, the caves of Lothal. There's a sick, like, overlook kind of uh, thing. They're way up on one of those cones. It's got some cool, I don't know, visual, fun visual stuff like that. Um, Hera brings a TIE Defender, or brings the plans back to Yavin 4. I like seeing Yavin 4, period. Oh, yeah. Looked so good. Seth Green is in there as the Trandoshan. Yep. It's fun, but if you need to skip something, you can skip it. Episode 9, Rebel Assault. This is Hera leading an attack against Thrawn, but of course, not everything goes well. They need to escape. There's some great dogfights over Lothal to start the thing. Hera in an X-Wing is so sick. Green, I guess green is the color of Phoenix Squadron. Is that established in this? Because they all have the green trim on the X-Wings? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I don't think it's called Green Squadron. I think. Well, there is, there yeah, is a... I'm not sure. Isn't, I think the Phoenix Squadron ends up being like... Isn't that Hera's led group? Right, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, green and orange are their, that's like their colors. If I was going to say, like, yeah. you know, what are what are the the ghost crew? It's, you know, green, orange, and I'd probably say, like, a some kind of purple maroon. That makes sense. Uh, for sure. I don't know what it is about, like, her skin tone and her jumpsuit, her flight suit is like a, I want to say it's still orange, but it's closer to, like, a red. Yeah. It just looks great with her green skin. I want that color flight suit. It looks dope. You want, I thought you were going to say, I want that color skin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll take yeah, that color skin nice. too, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be 42. This mortal <laughs> coil is boring. Give me some green skin. 
Do you remember when they were kind of fleshing out like different Ninja Turtles, mainly for like being able to identify them versus when yeah. they were all, you know, and it's like all red. Yeah. Yeah. Raph, Raph was like kind of like brighter green. Mikey was like brightest green, you know, Don had like yeah. a, like a muted green, you know, and I'm like, Hmm, you know, Hera's like, she like a Raphael <laughs> green, would you say? Or, yeah. <laughs> and she should get a different color bandana for her eyes. <laughs> the colors are definitely Michelangelo for sure. So she crash lands in this episode. Uh, Rook, is hunting her. Kanan goes back alone to save her and then meets the white Lothwolf along the way. Rook captures Hera. It ends with her in captivity, which leads us to episode 10, Jedi Knight. This is about the ghost crew infiltrating the Imperial headquarters on Lothal to save Hera. We'll get to why, but this is a huge episode for obvious reasons. It's the death of Kanan Jarrus. And it's like, I mean, in... 22 minutes or whatever, this is like like an entire third act of a movie. It's like the heist act, almost like second and third act together. Like, a, a, you know, the heist goes down and then the main character dies. There's a sacrifice, that whole kind of thing. It's, it's an amazing episode. That being said, I agree with you. And I have always thought that it was a pretty interesting choice for this to be episode 10 out of 15. And not yeah. closer to like 13, 14, or 15 where this happened. This seems like such a big deal. And the fact that there's 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 after is it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. If you were to focus on, if, if the show was about Kanan, I could understand why they would move it back. But in a way, the show is about Ezra. Mm-hmm. And yeah, for sure. the the show goes, it talks a lot about, I mean, or, you know, if you look at the concept of like Yoda's teachings, right? And they're very, you know, do not mourn me because I've become one with the force. And so I think in a lot of ways, if we would have ended on that like high dramatic, oh my gosh, you know, we, we wouldn't have got to see what came after for Ezra for him to cope and then also realize that like he has a much bigger role than just being under Kanan and for him to discover, you know, show me my place in all this. Right. 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 But man, Oh, I mean, you think about how early Obi-Wan dies in a new hope. That's bold shit Mm -hmm. too, you know? Definitely. So I'm sure there was some discussion about that. And I would be surprised if that example wasn't brought up. Think about how integral Obi-Wan is to the entire original trilogy, but the dude dies a third of the way through the first movie. Mm -hmm. And in a sense to like Kanan has, purpose past his death you know right yeah physical implications similar to kenobi there is a torture scene the imperials are torturing and interrogating hera thrawn uses the calicori to kind of intimidate her it's good stuff uh it's kind of another goofy thing on paper the plan is for the crew to fly into the city on gliders under the radar they don't have gliders sitting around so they have to build them so there's this great montage classic montage stuff where you have two things going on at once. It's the crew building the gliders and Kanan cutting his hair, shaving, ditching the mask, his transformation, which we don't know yet, but at this point is kind of like Nick said at the beginning, accepting his fate and kind of getting ready to take those last few steps to his end and, and, you know, to, to the next level or the next um, plane of existence. It's a very, you know, we know that Filoni's love of Eastern culture and his appreciation for it. And of course, the symbolism of, you know, the cutting of the hair is to symbolize that's one part of your life that's over and you're becoming someone new after that. And so I think 
all of this is done. It's a very, you know, it's not like any of this was really subtle. This is like incredibly wet in terms of how um, they're doing it. But it's like you have you have these moments of as soon as that really started to happen, me watching this, and you guys might have felt the same thing, watching this completely blind, you're just like, um, I'm seeing what's going down. You know, <laughs> yeah. it just like it has it had such a a weight of it where like Kanan's tone is just getting more and more somber. I would say somber is the wrong word. I would say like Kanan just seems to get more and more reflective yeah, as yeah. these episodes are really coming on. Like he's just like, there isn't this, I don't see this like desire in him to want to run and escape and like, oh, come on, we got, let's go blast through him and all that kind of stuff. Like it's almost like he's, the force has kind of shown him like you are on a path. This is where your path is going to lead, you know. It's just it's and watching it again, you're like, oh man, I yeah, I was missing stuff the first time for yeah. sure. <laughs> there are a lot of good things. Again, they pack a lot into this 22 minute episode. Tarkin in his hollow conversation with Thrawn about the Tie Project, this Tie Defender Project, he mentions by name Orson Krennic and his own project, Stardust. Talks about how it seems like a waste of money and resources. He's not totally backing the idea. He's more into the Thai project, which is spoken about in more detail in something else. And I can't remember what it is. Kind of the the idea of Palpatine and Krennic wanting to spend all this money on this, you know, put all the eggs into the Death Star basket versus being more strategic with the Thai project. Mm. I don't remember what else this was mentioned in, but that kind of... You know, it it fits the characters. You know, right. Palpatine is all about having everything and just maniacally obsessed with power and right. destruction and this this singularity of power versus a tactician's approach, a chess match, the way that Thrawn would do it. So cool dialogue there. And the the crew splits up. They get Hera. Kanan is the one who goes to rescue her specifically. And there's a bunch of great comic relief because Hera is just whacked out on interrogation interrogation drugs, truth serum, whatever. Really good stuff. She finally says, I love you. And then like two <laughs> minutes later, tops? Yep. Yeah. All the shit hits the fan. They're on top of these fuel tanks. They're about to escape. Is it Governor Price who orders, yeah, orders the gunship to fire on them? And they're like, they're, they're right there on these fuel tanks. And she's like, do it. So they fire on the fuel tanks. The explosion comes and in slow motion... Kanan turns and basically contains the explosion with the force and he's holding it back. And it's this amazing image that if you Google Kanan Jarrus death, it's going to show exactly this image. He's holding it back. He looks to the crew. They've got the other ship right there and they all understand what's happening in the moment. He has to sacrifice himself. So he's holding it just long enough for them to escape. He takes all that energy that he's using to hold back. The explosion turns and pushes the ship away to safety and then is consumed by the blast and dies in the explosion yeah at first he pushes Hera which is uh did Ahsoka do that to both Ezra and Kanan in season two the finale of the apprentice yeah yeah maybe he learned it from her there and then yeah Yeah. then he pushes the ship but uh, also the animation on Hera's face like her utter like disbelief and like fear of what she knows is happening like there's something like borderline like psychotic about her look it's like such good animation yeah it's really like she's scared out of her mind because she knows what's happening and what's about to happen and then the ending when the explosion happens and it goes to white it ends on a white screen with a black and white logo which is so poetic 
in its simplicity. Yeah, it's it's it kind of visually feels like him becoming one with the force, like the life being sucked out of his mortal body or his mortal body disappearing, right? All the color is gone. It's you know what I mean? It's it's a beautiful way to end it. The thing that I I, I get frustrated that people don't a huge amount of the fandom has not seen this show. Yeah. And to think of like how we're all reacting to this this episode that some of us have rewatched that we've already seen many times and we're all still like, I'm not ready to talk about this, even though I watched it th- four years ago. I'm not ready to talk <laughs> about this. Kanan's big thing is always like when he gets blind, it's like the force shows you what you need to see. It's always been his thing. And that you don't necessarily need your eyes to see. In that moment of him holding back the fire, it's very specifically, and it zooms in on his eyes, his eyes get clear and you see his eyes again. And he can see. And he can see Hera. And so for that moment, the Force gave him the ability to be able to see. Dude. The Force could have wiped away the fire. It could have done something else. But the Force had him on a path to say this is what you were supposed to do. But it gave him that ability to be able to see that, to almost like remind him. It's just, I can't believe people haven't watched this damn show. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's incredible, man. And I, uh, I don't know. I won't say anymore. It's just incredible. Watch the show if you haven't yet. What are you doing? All right, that leads us to episode 11, Doom. All caps, D-U-M-E. Not a lot happens in terms of like events in this episode because so much of it is dialogue and everyone dealing with the, the devastating loss of Kanan, trying to, to pick up the pieces and figure out what they're going to do. Even Chopper is feeling it. Like he comes up and he grabs Hera's hand with his little claw, <laughs> not even making a sound, like, not like, grumbling, not talking shit to anyone, you know? We're laughing, but it's like, it's such a beautiful little mo. Like it's everyone it is, is like embracing each other, you know? And even like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's... it's yeah, this episode, because I remember that happened, and I remember being like, is Kanan dead? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I knew it, but it, I'm like, again, in my head, I'm like, this is a kid show, and there's, yeah. Nick, you're, to your point, I'm like, well, there's a lot more episodes. Like, he, yeah. he can't be yeah. dead. Then you go to this episode, you're like, he's dead. He dead. He gone. <laughs> what? What? Yeah. What are we? We're crying together. It's real. Yeah. There are there are some great things in terms of setup here, though, even though there's not much action in this episode, so it's absolutely essential. The Lothwolves coming to Ezra, they're mad, or they seem angry at him. Uh, they end up leading him out in the middle of nowhere. Night falls. This huge white wolf comes to him. I don't know if it's just bigger in this moment, if it's the same white wolf or what, but he says he is doom. And it's still ambiguous to me. There's some explanation about it's sort of Canaan speaking through this animal or, or something, but he says, Doom. And he's like, that was my master's name. They don't really get down to it. But the wolves show Ezra a stone from the Jedi Temple. It's got the Mortis God's inscription on the different hands. And the white wolf says to him, go to the temple, get knowledge, restore past, redeem future which I didn't catch the first time around, but he's telling him straight up, go save Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. Go through this portal, find this moment, pull her through. She's the key to redeeming the future. It's like goosebumps everywhere. It's so exciting once you have that revelation. 
and you know what's coming. Especially because like, if what you mean by this is you know what's coming is like what's coming right now in in like Ahsoka and like, yes. like I, it's insane. That's like one line in that meant nothing clearly to us back then watching it, but oh my goodness. Like as much, <laughs> I, I kind of almost get the sense that as much as everyone likes Ahsoka and loves Ahsoka right now, it's actually going to get crazier. Like yeah. she is going to be so important to something that we don't, necessarily know it's not like oh the Ahsoka series and should be thrown it's going to be like way bigger than that 100 <laughs> percent. do you think that there's a sense of like the loath wolves like are they almost i i kind of was drawing a lot of parallels between i understand in some ways the symbolism of mirai for ahsoka and do you think that that almost is like this what's the word i'm looking for a personification or like some kind of um, animal representation of an extension of the force connected to another being, right? Maybe that's what the low, the, the the doom part is. I kind of, I just like think about that. And I'm like, oh, because there's that, you know, being that, of course, that Mariah is still around when with Ahsoka, right? But mind you, Mariah never came around until Ahsoka technically died on Mortis. Well, it, it's right. I always not even assumed. I thought it was the personification of the sister, right? Was more I? Yeah. Right. But the but those two are they're paired. Like there's you know what I mean? Because like Ahsoka's uh, Ahsoka died. Mm-hmm. If Mariah is the sister, but she's connected to you know what I mean? Like Ahsoka still had to die mm-hmm. for that to happen. Well, that whole but, pro- but Morai was was there in the Clone Wars and sort of left with Ahsoka from from Mortis, right? Right, but what I'm saying is, like, could there be, is that a similar process for Kanan and one of these? Oh, and the wolf. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a a parallel between an extension of the Force has a a further mission for them, and, you know, because it's like... A literal, actual spirit animal. Sure, sure. You're saying. I'm into that. I can back that. Hmm. Speaking of animals, episode 12, Wolves and Adore... Here's where it really starts to get awesome. Not that it wasn't already awesome. The ghost crew going back to the Jedi Temple on Lothal. And then we see that the Empire is excavating the site of the Jedi Temple on Lothal. And it has such an awesome Indiana Jones with the Nazis and the artifacts vibe. I love it so, so much. And Palpatine has his minister there, Minister Hayden, who's like an Indiana Jones character, like a priest slash archaeologist kind of thing who was based on another character that we'll talk about in the den palpatine mentions the mortis gods by name or or calls them the mortis gods this temple has these huge murals symbols everywhere paint like sort of cave paintings on these giant kind of cliff walls both the ghost crew and the minister are trying to figure out what all this stuff means all these symbols all the symbolism symbology morai loth wolves it's like a star map gates, doorways, all these other places and times. When you really look at it and you understand what's coming and you rewatch all those lines and the circles, that's just a 2D representation of the world between worlds and the hands and the way they're aligned and the different figures on there. It all represents all of it. And it's sort of like a, a giant key that has to be aligned to unlock. Sabine gets captured in this. Ezra unlocks the door, gate, portal, whatever you want to call it. The wolves are circling in 2D on it, just like the wolves guiding them through that portal a few episodes ago. He goes through, and that's where the episode ends. 
It's an amazing episode. A bunch of stuff does happen because, you know, Sabine gets captured and everything, but it's more about, it's more like the middle act of a, of an Indiana Jones movie where they're, they're figuring stuff out or like, you know, the beginning of the third act when they're in, you know, he's doing like the, uh, on the penitent animal pass, the penitent animal pass, you know, that kind of stuff. (laughs) Great, great, great episode, which leads us to episode 13, a world between worlds, which is like, we're getting weird now. Wow. So weird. Slippery slope for star Wars haters. Yes. But they could go back to the world, the world, the world between worlds. (laughs) Captain Kennedy's going to go to the world between worlds and get rid of Ray. God damn it. The, um, (laughs) The thing I'm so that makes mad this that you brought that up. <laughs> not uh, a slippery slope in terms of writers losing themselves in the story is not anyone can just access it. Palpatine, we see later, needs Ezra to open the gate. You can't just willy-nilly throw time travel into anything now like they do in a lot of other sci-fi or fantasy. Am I wrong or was there something in another season or I don't know if it's earlier this this season in particular, but... There was a um, kind of, again, like you would assume it's a throwaway line, but doesn't someone mention that Palpatine has like some, uh, I don't know if it was like an obsession or just a general interest in the temple on Lothal at some point in other Rebels episodes? It was like a throwaway line. And now I feel like now you know, because this whole scenario, Palpatine wanted this temple basically, you know, for this purpose. Interesting. We should do our homework Mm. and find out. We'll report back, listeners. So this starts with Ezra in the world between worlds because he passes through the gate at the end of episode 12. Minister Hayden is trying to make Sabine translate the temple art and the inscriptions. She ends up escaping. It's a cool dynamic where she's, she's realizing it, even though she's like, screw you, I'm not helping. As he's talking, she's like, oh yeah, because that would mean this and this, you know? And there's a little bit of a kind of a cat and mouse right there. Point being, she ends up escaping and... There's a great line that really, I mean, it, it just, it's exposition. It says why Palpatine wants it, but it's just, it's still great. That portal, it's not just a way into the temple. It's a pathway between all time and space. He who controls it, controls the universe. So again, about Palpatine breaking the rule of two. It's a rule of one for him. He wants it all. And this is the key. So he needs Ezra to do this. Ezra sees Morai in this episode. Morai's in the world between worlds. Shows him the moment where Ahsoka faced Vader, like leads him to that gate so he can go pass through and pull her back out. And this confuses the hell out of me. I, I haven't done my homework on this, but after rewatching the episode Twilight of the Apprentice, Ahsoka does walk away from that temple. It's an overhead shot. It's very small. She walks out. I never noticed that. I didn't until somebody, I, I, I posted and somebody responded, yeah, she walks out. And I was like, what? I went back and watched it. Sure enough, she walks out. It's really brief. So the question is like, did she die from her injuries in the battle later? Was that the idea? Hmm. Why does Ezra need to pull her out? I mean, clearly, like she, she would have died, right? Had he not grabbed her that way. Or it's essential that he gets her into that moment somehow. The point being, he does. He goes into that moment and... We see like how Vader ends up so screwed up at the end of that episode because she stabs the ground with the two lightsabers. It cracks the whole thing and Vader falls through it right as Ezra is pulling her back through the thing. So Vader falls down to the depths of that thing 
he technically lost that fight in that sense. Mm-hmm. Either way. I would agree with that. Ahsoka is saved in this moment and brought up to present day. And it's cool because she's like, you look uh, different. Like, you have pubes now or whatever. <laughs> um, but uh, as they're talking there, Ezra realizes, oh, my God, if I saved you, I can save Kanan. So he goes to try to do that. And then there's a moment where Palpatine is on the other side of the portal. I don't know exactly how. Still, I don't, I don't understand how he can see through the portal. And he, he kind of shoots this blue Sithy fire at them through the portal, which Ahsoka has to block and they have to escape. Did you guys remember the mechanics of that? How Palpatine could do that? No clue. Like, has he already rebuilt that little portion of the temple that he uses in, in a couple episodes? Now, here, here's a couple of things. Just because we're also in present day and we're getting all this, like, new stuff that's happening um, with Star Wars, right? And some of the, you know, people have been asking because we had, van- you know, the time that we're recording this, there was this huge Vanity Fair drop today. And there's even more content coming out tomorrow with Kathleen Kennedy. And Filoni was asked specifically about Ahsoka. And I think, Nick, you'll be excited to hear that it's not just Ahsoka hunting Thrawn. Good. I think he was like, we're, we're explain we're going to go off. We have an arc and we have other stories to tell. So I think the, the world between, I mean, and you can also look at it, right? It's like, look at the logo of her, oh, yeah. of her, her show has, it's there. yeah, it has all of that in there. So I think we're going to really start to understand exactly what that is. And if, of course, with everything, it's like the same way that Dagobah, and Yoda having his trial. There's a lot of that where both sides of the force have access to something that depending on how they use it or their restraint in using it could pull them to one side of it, right? So you get the sense that like Palpatine is also very aware of it, but like either he's too far on one side that the force won't let him have full access to it. Ahsoka has been walking the lines between the two, which is why we laugh about calling her Ahsoka the Grey. But then you have people like Ezra, who's like, he gets in there and he's like, wait, oh my gosh. It's like, that's kind of his trial is to be like, I ha- I could, I could quote unquote, have the power to be able to save my parents or save Kanan, but this isn't right, you know? And and then you yeah. see it, of course, later in the season. Um, There's some weird Star Wars stuff, man, for sure. It's exciting, but at the moment, a little confusing and ambiguous, but it's amazing regardless. So Palpatine, he, he's unsuccessful. Ezra and Ahsoka escape through separate portals. Ahsoka goes back to Malachor, present day, but goes back to the, the spot where she fought Vader. Ezra goes back to the shitstorm of the Imperials at the Jedi Temple, but he's back with the crew. They escape. It's a, you know, it's a big thing, but it takes Ezra activating the wall inscription and doing this whole thing again and destroying the temple for them to escape. And really ultimately like the idea is that the knowledge is lost and even the, the minister's like, Oh my God, the knowledge, oh, you know, he, yeah, he's evil, but he, he really wants, he's trying to unlock all this stuff. He's freaking out. He, the, another Indiana Jones moment where he's standing right there as the shit's crumbling and he falls into it just like Elsa with the grail. They escape temple's gone. Ezra passes out from, all of the force energy that it takes to do this thing. And when he wakes up, they've come back to the site and it's just completely flat. There's nothing left. The, the temple's gone. There are just these circles on the ground where the stuff used to be. And then in the distance, we see one lone loth wolf. Ezra looks at him and says, goodbye, Kanan, to the wolf. Hmm. 
heavy stuff. Uh, I was going to save this for the den, but we might as well drop it here. In this episode, Ezra's final words to Ahsoka, when you get back, come find me. Dude. That's the last last time they spoke, so that's what we're getting. We're getting mm. that. She's, she's, Thanks, Dave. She's going to go look for him in this series, I assume, right? 100%. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to episode 14. A Fool's Hope. This is really just kind of like ramping up to episode 15, even though there's some cool stuff. There's some very cool stuff. Ezra's calling in some favors, trying to get everybody together. The idea is that they have to go up against an entire planet worth of Imperials occupying Lothal as this little ragtag group. The ghost crew goes back to get the clones. They have an AT-AT now. Pretty sick. Upgrade. Recruits them. Hondo, Ketsuonyo, Everybody together to fight Lothal. It's a tall order. They need to round up the whole crew. They're back with Ryder Asadi, and he's like, man, what, how are we going to pull this off? It's impossible. And he's like, we only need one person. So essentially they have this plan. Ryder's going to sort of fake a betrayal or a double cross of the rebels. He calls Governor Price, says, I'm done with these people. I want immunity, essentially. I'll turn them in. It's a double cross. They get there, and the idea is that they're going to, well, We'll get to that here in a moment. But Ezra summons the Loth Wolves who help defeat the Imperials at the rebel base because they lure them there. That's the, that's the idea. And then they've got Governor Price held captive, which leads us into the series finale, episode 15, Family Reunion and Farewell. What an episode. This is the first time in Rebels that they have done a true sort of double-length episode, not a two-parter smashed together. This is a 48-minute, I think, episode. And I would assume it aired that way. I didn't do my homework, but I would assume, assume they bumped some Mickey show or some crap after this to do the whole thing. It starts with a great, well, towards the beginning, a great quote from Callus to Governor Price about betraying the Empire because he's there as, Callus is there as a rebel. He's been there throughout the season. He says, the day I betrayed the Empire is the day I stopped betraying myself. Hell of a quote. Yeah. Good job, Callus. So the rebels make this deal with Price. Basically, it's like, take them back to the Imperial uh, headquarters in Lothal's capital city, or we're going to feed you to the Loth Wolf. She's like, okay, fine, whatever. You're going to be screwed anyway. I'll take you back. So they're going to go back as, quote, prisoners. It's going to be a trap. The rebels infiltrate. They're doing it. But Rook, who's still out there, he discovers their plan, warns Thrawn, Wolf, and Mart, younger kid, Rebel, they have the special mission that Ezra gave them. They need to send a signal on frequency zero, which is like, what the hell? Frequency zero? Nobody uses that anymore. It's a surprise, basically. Um, Thrawn orders an attack on the Lothal civilians. This really throws a wrench in the plan. So basically the crew has to go activate the city shield generator. Ezra wants to go face Thrawn on his own. Hera tries to stop him. For a second, he's like, okay. But then Sabine distracts Hera and gives him this, it's a great moment, gives him a look. It's super, like, you can just tell. It's, it's, it's just like Kanan again. Like, I have to do something. I'm sorry, it's super somber. She just gives him a look, distracts everyone else, and he takes off by himself. He goes to see Thrawn. He gets there and allows himself to be captured. Very Luke and Vader in The Empire Strikes Back, Rey and Kylo in The Last Jedi style. Let's himself be captured, comes to Thrawn. Thrawn brings him to Palpatine, or a hollow of him, like a, a, a full-size hollow. 
And it turns out Palpatine had a portion of the temple reconstructed. He got from the wreckage, the rubble, this area of the temple reconstructed in the capital and uses it to essentially seduce Ezra into opening the door or the portal again, showing him the potential to save his parents. It's unclear whether or not he's actually seeing them there because the way that Palpatine is presenting it, it's kind of like, how could you do that? How could they be talking to him? That's weird. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of deception. Sure. Point being, Ezra resists the temptation and ends up just destroying the temple again or this part of it again. He goes to the bridge to get Thrawn, comes at him with a blaster. Meanwhile, the frequency zero signal has been happening and the reason for it, surprise, it summoned the Purgle. So these giant space whales come to Lothal, come to the signal, and they come straight to Ezra, who's standing right with Thrawn. This is another thing that happens like pretty early in the episode. I remember watching it and thinking, like looking at the time, like, oh my God, this happens already? Because mm. it's huge, you know? The Purgles show up and their, their tentacles wrap around the Star Destroyer, come bursting through the windows. The bridge, yeah. Yeah, of the bridge, yeah. They, they grab a hold of it. They wrap around Thrawn. And Thrawn, he can see the writing on the wall. He knows what's happening. He knows that Ezra has put this plan into motion. And he says to Ezra, Whatever happens next happens to both of us. And Ezra says, That's the idea. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so good. So Ezra's like, this is a little ambiguous too. He's holding them. He's holding everything together, basically. He's holding the Purgle and Thrawn and the ship all together. So when when they take off and they jump to hyperspace, because that's what the Purgle can do, they're going to pull it all with them. There's three of them kind of on the ship all wrapped around. Don't forget, we mentioned this on another episode that Ben do. His line to Thrawn says, I see your defeat like many arms surrounding you in a cold embrace. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> so... That's awesome. There you go. Dang. More planning by Filoni and mm-hmm. folks. Yeah, oh, you guys are good. So the Purgle jumped to hyperspace. They pulled the Star Destroyer with them. Ezra's gone. Thrawn's gone. The ship's gone. Who knows where they went? But once they're gone, the rebels are like, uh, was that the plan? It literally comes through on the comms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and uh, Rex is like, um, I don't know, but we're all clear up here. Like, all clear to just proceed. So they take control of the Imperial Dome, which isn't a static structure. I don't think we knew it at this point. The thing on the planet is actually a ship, just like the ones that are in orbit. So they launch that thing up there. They've got detonators in it. And when it's up in the sky over the ocean, they detonate the thing. It's destroyed. They've defeated the Empire on Lothal, essentially. Um, What else happens here? Also, earlier in the battle, as they're cross-cutting between the different simultaneous storylines Gregor dies in battle and has an amazing heart-wrenching final moment with Rex it was an honor to serve with you Rex it was an honor to fight with you for something that we chose to believe in (sighs) we did it Gregor We did it. Man, I love that. The three clones that were, well, I mean, of course we know there were more, but like the three clones that were severed, yes, 
we could call it that. And then yeah. to have them choosingly join the rebellion is it's awesome. And then it ends for uh, it ends at, at this point with a farewell hollow message from Ezra. If you're watching this recording, then I owe you an explanation. There were several paths in front of me. While this wasn't the one I wanted to take, it's what I had to do. That's something Kanan taught me. I'm going to miss you all. And he says towards the end of it, Sabine, I'm counting on you. She says, For what? She doesn't understand yet in that moment. And then the whole episode ends with a final voiceover by Sabine, which is really interesting. Not by Hera, not by Ezra, mm-hmm. not a Kanan thing. You know, it's Sabine, which is really interesting. They were concerned with potentially, you know, they had won a battle, but it was going to be hard to continue to fight the Empire, even though the people were all with them. But she says in this voiceover, The attack we all anticipated never came. The once invincible Empire had begun to fracture. The small rebellion had become bold. And with a decisive victory at the Battle of Endor, the Emperor's reign of terror came to an end. Hera and Rex fought in the Battle of Endor. Apparently when uh, when Hera and Kanan kissed, that wasn't all that happened because there's a baby, there's a child. <laughs> Jason Sindula, spelled J-A-C-E-N, classic Star Wars. And the thing that he was counting on her for becomes clear with the, the final image of the episode. There was something else I was meant to do. He was counting on her to go find him. Ezra's out there somewhere, and it's time to bring him home. With Ahsoka. Ahsoka the Grey. In her cloak, with the staff, with the circle on top, which we now understand represents the world between worlds. What a beautiful ending. Talk about crying over a child's cartoon uncontrollably. Dude, what an ending. I remember watching that ending and very soon after watching that ending, I went to, I don't remember if it was WonderCon or LA Comic-Con and someone already had that like Ahsoka the White, Ahsoka the Gray cosplay. Yeah. And I was like, yo, that was four days ago. (laughs) (laughs) Skills. And Sabine's Sabine's armor had significantly been toned down mm. you know it's it's mm-hmm. more um what what i think is cool too and i don't know if this is a little detail that anybody else picked up the pergil had these like bright piercing blue eyes right mm-hmm. sabine's armor is dark purple red tone and then in the middle above the visor are two piercing blue eyes oh whoa yep her armor is her calicori it's got the story all over it it's a calicori there's also a great um thing with the Calicori at the end where Hera adds she adds Kanan to the Calicori even though he's not a blood relative it's a beautiful little moment so much good stuff to say about this ending man it's just like it's family it's family uh, again a, a cartoon that starts for kids and it ends with the most profound fully grown up compatible cinematic ending well done well freaking done yeah I mean it's it's ultimately like parallel to the whole concept of like found family and you know a band of rebels all 
becoming each other's uh, new family. And it's really well done. Truly every single character that comes into play. I mean, there's one shot in one of these final episodes where it's like the, the ghost crew, but then you have like Ryder and Callus and like everyone they've added along the way that's like all there for the fight. And I'm like, man, this is a re- really good like culmination of like just people joining the cause. The more that they see that there's hope. It's just a beautiful thing. All right, let's move on to the Den of Antiquities. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark side. Oh gosh. It's a calicore. A Sith wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Hey, we don't have a super long den here, but we got some really good stuff. Nick, tell us about it. You want to den it up? I got some things. I got some fun facts. In the first episode, Heroes of Mandalore, there's a good connection there with Ezra learning to use his jetpack. The inspiration of that was the 1991 movie, The Rocketeer. (laughs) Pretty cool. And there's a Star Wars connection there. Joe Johnston was one of the lead designers for Boba Fett, and he actually directed The Rocketeer. Looky there. Would you look at that? They fly now. This next fact is so funny to me. So the Mandalorian capital of Sindari was designed to look like the trackball on the underside of a mouse (laughs) at the request of George Lucas. (laughs) So you could just picture George Lucas at his desk in, I guess, whenever era, whatever era still used trackballs on on mouses. Or the top side of a mouse, depending on which one you use. Yes, yes, very true. Could be that. But I could just see him be like, uh, you know, we, it needs to look like this. This is what Sundari looks like. And someone's just like, all right, there we go. You heard the man. That's a dome. Give him some dome. Pretty cool, though. I like that. Oh, this is really cool. Now that we have the Mandalorian, the television show, uh, this is the first time in episode two that Mandalorian armor has a name and is referred to as Beskar. Nice. First time on screen, I should say. Yeah. I think that there's a, a book or something previous to that that refers to it as Beskar. This next one is so cool even though I have no idea who this character was and didn't take the time to actually pay attention it just makes me happy because I love this character in this show. Oh yeah. Yeah I don't remember the actual Imperial tech who it was but it was voiced by Josh Brenner who was Big Head on Silicon Valley. (laughs) Love that. He seems like he should just be in more Star Wars things. Yes please. (laughs) This next one's speculation that I put in here. What do you guys think? Episode it's, it's six. Hard not to be. Yeah. Episode six, Flight of the Defender. There's a line that says, follow the white loath gap. And uh, Matrix reference, maybe. Follow the white rabbit. I mean, maybe probably, even further back. Yeah, white mm-hmm. rabbit. Yeah. Why not? I mean, the Matrix thing is a reference to Alice in Wonderland, but mm-hmm. who's like a, an Alice in Wonderland super fan right now? Yeah. I don't know. Probably more likely that they had Matrix on the brain. Yeah. Uh, episode seven, Kindred. So we've talked about Rook, Thrawn's assassin, actually debuted alongside Thrawn in the novel Heir to the Empire back in 91. 
and killed Thrawn in that, right? Mm, I don't know. We need Ryan. I read for that. that like just in passing in the I accidentally clicked the Legends tab on Wikipedia. Thought I saw that. If Ryan was here, he would know that. Uh also in episode seven, the Imperial tanks are the same model as the ones in Rogue One, but I think there's a difference. Is one of them on wheels and one of them hovers? In yeah. in Rogue One? Are these hovering? Because I think the ones in Rogue One have wheels. Or like I think know, these like are on tracks. the ground okay. on wheels. So is it the or other tracks, way around yeah. then? In Jetta, the those are hover tanks. Okay, so yep. there you okay, go. Okay, so the these yeah. are, that's the difference there. They look very very close though. Oh yeah, I think they're identical except for wheels versus hovering. They didn't go to the future to get the hover conversion yet, like Doc Brown. <laughs> yeah, we didn't see that movie yet. We only have Back to the Future one. Uh, <laughs> Episode 10, Jedi Knight, the interrogation chair. I don't know what you'd want to call it. Previously used on Kanan earlier mm. in uh, in an episode. Uh, I don't remember what season. Not this season, though. And, of course, canonically, I guess this is the first time we would see it. We would see it again in the original trilogy and then again in the sequel trilogy. Right. The gurney. The gurney. The, like that. The, the torture gurney. Yeah, it's definitely not a chair. The interrogation gurney. Terribly unergonomic chair, if it is. Did you guys ever see that band, Interrogation Gurney? (laughs) (laughs) Great band. Yeah, great band. Episode 12, Wolves and a Door. The temple wall animated has a lower frame rate. Yeah, all the animation on the rock, like once those glyphs and, and images start to move, they're moving at, I would guess, like half the frame rate, so 12 frames per second, and it looks kind of stop motion, kind of like old animation. It's a style choice. Fully on purpose, absolutely. Yeah, I, there's like no reason for it other than it just works really well. For I don't it to look different. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I did like this because I did not notice this until I read it, but the Lothwolf Doom has similar markings to Kanan's shoulder armor, mm. so I really like that. It's density. It was there the whole time, you know? The world between worlds, the voices that you hear in there, you get both Hayden and Matt Lanter as Anakin. You get Adam Driver's Kylo. You get Carrie Fisher's Leia, Alec Guinness's Obi-Wan. You get Oscar Isaac doing Poe, which I think is pretty interesting. Also interesting, Felicity Jones as Jyn Erso. I guess I would say those are the two interesting ones because they're not force wielders i think it's more just about peering into different moments in time than anything and as mm-hmm. he's passing through the world between worlds he's just kind of like yeah surrounded by th- those voices in those mm-hmm. moments and then you get uh james earl jones vader and you get a qui-gon by liam neeson's classic neeson's uh i like this one this next one because uh to me this is confirmation but i guess it's still a little uh What's the word? Oh, they did this on purpose. Yeah, yeah. This, this is some retcon action. Still could be a little speculatory, but episode 14, Rex, you see, is starting to wear similar clothing and garb to the rebellion troops on Endor. And this was kind of like crowdsourced, I want to say, to be retconned because there's a dude with a big old white beard on Endor in one of the final scenes of Return of the Jedi. And at some point, I guess once old man Rex was in Rebels, people were like, that dude looks like Rex. And I'm sure Filoni at some point was like, they're right, and Rex hasn't died yet. Let's just insinuate that Rex fought on Endor. They don't say anything. Well, they, they do say <laughs> it. Well, they do in say the, that. In the voiceover, yeah. like, this is That's the same Rex. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there, so, was a, 
There was a children's book that showed it was like in the rebels won, they beat the empire. And then it said like Captain Rex celebrates mm-hmm. that. Right. And then, and then at the same time though, then it was like by order of Filoni quote unquote, which we have no idea, but he said that that was actually Nick Sant, which is, uh, you know, Santa Saint, Claus, Saint Nick. Mm. Yeah. And so it turned into this big thing. He's like, is it Rex or is it not Rex? Well, maybe when we see Filoni next week, <laughs> let's yeah. pin him down and let's ask him. <laughs> Thank the maker exclusive content. Let's get it going. One answers. <laughs> so that's, it's like, it's still like, I guess sort of speculatory, but all signs point to that being Rex. And it's so much of a better story that it's Rex. So Ezra says, I wonder if Hera made it in a very original trilogy sense. Kanan says, I know she did. I could feel it. That's what I said in my head. Uh, episode 15. We do see that uh, Hera and Kanan did have a kid named Jason, J-A-C-E-N, which you mentioned already. And uh, in Legends, there's a Jason solo spelled the same way. So that's a little bit of a tip of the old cap to Legends for sure. Uh, you guys were talking about Sabine's new look at the end of uh, this series. You could see on her shoulder armor that there's now a pergol. Hey. Mm-hmm. This next episode, fifteen one, Mike, you put this in here? Um, so... Sabine has a, on her shoulder, which would be her wearer's left, has a different animal painted on it in every season of what was important, I'm assuming. Did we see wolves in season one? Uh, I don't know. Or there's some something, either this, because she has a wolf on her season one shoulder armor. Hmm. So maybe this was like a foreshadowing of that. Season two, she has the fur knock, which is where her and Hera really like bond when they get stuck on, on whatever yeah, that, yeah. an accident. Ex- creatures. Yeah. Um, and then season three, she has Mirai on her shoulder. And then now in season four, she has the Pergil. So in a way it's like, if that's her connection to animals, same as Ezra, she's doing it in a different way. She's paying tribute. It's cool. I like it. And another thing that I wanted to add, Ryder Azadi impersonates the ISB colonel, Ularin, which is the white coat that sits at Tarkin's table in A New Hope. We saw him in Clone Wars a lot, but yeah, he's fully ISB at this point, which is rad because those are the guys that wear white coats or white tunics. So that's who that Super was. Super big bads. Right. Nick, take it away. So Zeb says we're heading towards Sector GL-44. And that might just sound like a bunch of gibberish to you. But George Lucas was born in 1944. Get it? George. Thank the maker. Lucas. G-L. Who just had a birthday. Yeah, sure did. Yeah, happy birthday, George. He's definitely listening. (laughs) This last one I have in here isn't so much a a den thing. I didn't know where else to put it, though. There's been some discussion, and I don't know if there's absolute confirmation, but there's been speculation that Zeb and Callus had some kind of romantic connection. And at the end, when they go, this is part of the, of the voiceover thing that we didn't mention, Zeb takes Kallus back to Lyrasan to see that he didn't actually kill all of the Lasat. And there's a vibe there. They're different species, so that's weird. But it's, it, there's some kind of, there's a vibe. And there's been speculation that there is some kind of like romantic connection and it hasn't been confirmed, but it has, it's definitely been answered in a way that's like, yeah, that could happen. If you think that's what happened, sure, that's what happened. 
Come on, I man. I brought that. you home to meet my mom. <laughs> yeah. Now, come on. You only yeah. do that if you were a special person to me. I wrote a bunch of fan fiction about the two of them and tried to get my own podcast stage at Celebration, but I got denied. So <laughs> sorry. You're never going to hear. Huge on Tumblr, <laughs> though. Huge on Tumblr. I read it, though. And let me tell you, it is steamy. It's steamy, Spicy, steamy, saucy. Rather humid everywhere in that story. <laughs> All right. Let's wrap this thing up. I love you. I know. Favorite episode. This was tough for me. What about you guys? Nick. Mm, world between worlds. Final answer. Damn. So cool. Changes a lot of things. The exciting return of Ahsoka. It looks cool as hell. Like, could I go on this little spacewalk thing, please? Yeah. Like, I just want to be there. You know, I don't, I personally don't think that it's like a slippery slope. I think it was a storytelling mechanism for this particular story. I don't see it as oh, time travel in Star Wars now. <laughs> I don't really see it that way. Partially because I don't want it to be that. You know, I want it to be something different. So yeah, world between worlds. I mean, even saying the world between worlds, that's such a cool bunch of words together. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the, I'll go with that one. Mike, how about you? Uh, this is another tough tough season for me because it's again the same thing it's like you know how do you not i don't know i I know the i know the episode that left the biggest impact on me and that was jedi knight for sure so it's hard to top that because in terms of like what it left with me that's the moment that sticks out but i would say besides that if we're going to go back and not choose twilight of the apprentice um i would certainly say that i love the first two episode because i Again, I watched this before Clone Wars, so Bo-Katan and all these people, I'm like, who are these people? This is super interesting to me. Uh, learning more and more about Mandalorian culture and what was going on with that, I was like, this is this is rad. I love this. I wish there was more Star Wars. I could learn about the Mandalorians. <laughs> uh, so I would say Jedi Knight, is, Jedi Knight is my pick. It Wouldn't it be cool if I picked a different episode and we each had a different favorite? Do it. It would be cool. Do it. It's not going to happen. Um... <laughs> But I will say that it, it is, it's tough to pick between the finale and a world between worlds because the finale has, man, that voiceover at the end and all the tying up and a beautiful bow of the whole story combined with the tying up of so many Clone Wars era things that we get with, with Rex and sure. the clones, sure. everybody coming together. Like you guys mentioned earlier, it's so, so beautiful. And I, cried like a baby through the whole thing, but it has to be a world between worlds because Ahsoka is my favorite character. I, the potential of that place or whatever you want to call it is so huge. Palpatine, you've got Ian McDermott back for it. It's just like, as we're saying goodbye, Kanan at the end too, like, my God, it's just so good. All the, all the stuff with like the, the, the archeology span vibes, the Indiana Jones stuff, it just checks every box for me. So A World Between Worlds is my favorite, episode 13. What do the patrons have to say, Nick? We, of course, polled them, and uh, they gave us some comments. Megan Dutcher says the Heroes of Mandalore episodes bring Sabine's story arc full circle. She loved watching her journey of facing her past and learning how to move forward in spite of her mistakes. So that's cool because we got a couple of votes for the Heroes of Mandalore episodes, but surprisingly not not too many. Um 
when we mentioned uh, Chopper's little droid claw holding Hera's hand, Brad B55 says uh, he was doing some deep crying trying to hold it in <laughs> during that. Deep crying. <laughs> in front of his children. Not light but he crying. Hold it in. Deep crying. Daddy, why are you crying? This droid's claw. Oh my God. Daddy, <laughs> what is a droid claw? <laughs> <laughs> We, of course, polled the patrons as well. If you want to be one of those people who gets polled, <laughs> that's a terrible sentence. Patreon.com like slash thank the maker pod is where you can go to do that, to cast a vote in a poll. We will not be polling anyone. We'll poll you. In the sense that went yep. into all of your terribly dirty minds. My fault. This was more split than I expected. And mm. it's a surprising winner. Nick, tell us who won. Surprising. It's more surprising to me that what's not the runner-up right like i could see the winner at 41 percent episode 10 jedi knight i get that that's cool i'm basic i'm basic i'm cool with that (laughs) death of canon jairus big deal i get it but the runner-up at 33 percent was the finale episode 15 so you want to know what else is crazy about these percentages your choice and mine episode 13 a world between worlds is at 8% and it's tied with episode 11, Doom, and episode 2, Heroes of Mandalore. So our choice is tied for third place. It's not even in third place, technically. Patrons, thank you so much for your support, but what the f***? You're all fired. We're refunding all your money. <laughs> the patrons watched that and they were like, what the hell's going on? What is I this? thought we were cool. They needed a DeLorean, not <laughs> some weird artifacts and some cave drawings. Come on. Sorry there wasn't a phone booth or... Uh... <laughs> all right. Well, hey. That's a good point. Teach their own. You know what I'm saying? And these are all good episodes. It's an amazing season. They all win. It's an amazing series. We all, everybody, every episode gets a consolation prize. Screw it. They all get the little trophy. Then everyone takes a photo together holding the big trophy. But everyone gets <laughs> a little one to take home. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap this up. Lots of things to do. We have celebration in mere days, like 10 days from the time of this recording. And less than a week from now, I will be driving from Missouri to Southern California. Hell of a time to be alive. Just to pick me up. Yep. It's so nice. Just That's to the pick only me reason. up. Mike needed a ride from the airport. So I said, dude, I got you. I have a car. Appreciate that. So celebration means we're, of course, doing Mosh Eisley, which we've talked about a, a little bit, our Star Wars themed emo night after party. Sold out as hell, but there are some folks who are trying to get rid of tickets. Plans have changed. We're trying to facilitate the exchange of those tickets. So if you are trying to get rid of tickets or if you're not coming, don't just let those tickets burn. Let us know at us on the social medias, and we're going to try to pair you up with folks who are looking for tickets and figure out the exchange thing. It's it's not very streamlined, but we're we're making it happen. Do not just not come. We (laughs) we will absolutely pay you back for your ticket. 100%. All right. If you want to follow this podcast on social media, at ThinkTheMakerPod on Instagram and TikTok, we're really ticking the talk recently. Uh, We've got uh, several views of one of our videos. I don't know if you guys noticed. Talks have been ticked. (laughs) At ThinkTheMaker on Twitter. My stuff is all at AdamTheSkull. Oh, also, follow at Mosh Isley on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. Nick, how about you? All my social media is at Nick Bayside, and I need two things from you, people. I wrote a children's book with my pals over at HE Creative, who are big Star Wars fans, by the way. Uh, the book is called That's Okay. It's for pre-order. You can pre-order it right this second, right now. 
I need to sell a bunch of these or I will be uh, murdered. It's a very serious scenario. If Nick doesn't sell these children's books, children will suffer. And they will murder him. It's going to be a reverse Anakin versus younglings. I'm going to be put in a room with a bunch of younglings who have lightsabers and I'm going to be killed. Yeah. And then please listen to the radio radio show. That's something I do. It's a lot of fun. I'll turn you on to some new music. I'm glad I didn't just stall after I said I'll turn you on. Uh, I'll turn you (laughs) on to some new music. Think of it less as a podcast and more of an hour of radio. Please listen to that, the radio radio show. I love you all. Adam, Mike, I love everyone listening. That's all I got to say about that. I just love you all. (laughs) Same. So we'll pull you. We'll tick your talk. (laughs) We'll um, We'll turn you on. Yeah, we'll turn you on. That's good. Uh, You can find me at Honda Supply as my big thing we're going to do here for celebration. We've got all kinds of people we're going to meet, which is going to be awesome. And I'm the host of Armor Party, which is a show all about costuming. We interview people who are building costumes and people who have worked in Star Wars on costumes. And our latest episode had Brian Matias, who's the designer of a lot of the Mandalorian concepts we've seen on screen. And him and Doug Chang and the rest of the concept art team are doing a panel on Saturday that Adam and I have already gotten in line for, so don't even try to come. We're there. We're already here. The room smells lovely. Mm-hmm. It's very big, but but we're already here, so don't worry about it. Uh, so really excited for that, and you can find me at Armor Party Show on Instagram. Do it. Last thing, one other podcast on the network, Princess and Scoundrel. It's about park going, Disney, and Star Wars. You should listen to it. Sarah and Steven, good people. They're from Earth. Check them out at Princess and Scoundrel on Instagram and on TikTok. All right. Wrap this thing up with a quote of the week. I'm so loopy right now. I'm so tired. Too many things. Too many things. Too many things. Mike, read the quote. Well, the quote that I wanted to read was when Hera looks up at Kanan after he's had this big emotional journey that he knows that the Force is probably going to have him sacrifice his life for her. And she looks up at him and says, I have to tell you something. I hate your hair. <laughs> Unforgivable. It's a very lovely quote, right? Unforg- right. And then he was like, "Well, I'm about to go die for you." So, but her quote that I think is important in season four is that whether we fail or succeed, at least our actions will show the Empire and the galaxy that we will not stand down, that we will not be broken by fear, that we are strong, united by courage. And ain't that just Star Wars the way that we've seen it in almost every sense of the way? Yes, sir. Thank you, Hera. Thank you. Thank you, Hera. Thank you, patrons. Thank you, co-hosts. Thank you, GL44. Thank the maker. And until next week, may the force be with you. Mm-hmm.